Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. Happy Friday. I'm David Brody. It's Friday, December 18, 2020. So here's the big question at the Water Cooler today. Are you going to take the vaccine? The vice president was a big yes on that today. Not shocking. Same with the second lady, Karen Pence, and the Surgeon General. They all got the shot in a show of American vaccine solidarity. Uh, meanwhile, on the election fraud front, the embattled Republican Secretary of State in Georgia, look, he is finally saying he's going to conduct a statewide review of signature matching. Well, hey, awfully nice of him. Hey, a memo to Brad Raffensperger from Trump Nation. The vote's already been certified, so thanks a million, Bradley. We're going to have more on the latest uh, down in Georgia. And the search for one bold senator, will incoming Senator Tommy Tuberville from Alabama be the one who objects to the electoral votes that will be read on January 6th? We're going to unpack all of that. But first to the COVID vaccine, the vice president went sleeves up this morning, live on national television to receive the shot heard around the world, kind of, sort of. Uh, let's play some of his comments and then the administration of the shot to the second highest ranking administration official. You know, as the Christmas holiday approaches, this is always a season of hope. We gather here today at the end of a historic week to affirm to the American people that hope is on the way. And Karen and I were more than happy to step forward before this week was out uh, to take the safe and effective coronavirus vaccine uh, that we have secured and produced for the American people. It's a truly inspiring day. As the people of this country witnessed this, uh, this past week under Operation Warp Speed, the first coronavirus vaccine is literally being administered in states across the country to millions of Americans. And make no mistake about it. It's a medical miracle. There it is, the vice president of the United States getting the shot. Uh, so look, the vice president now has taken the vaccine. Plenty of other high-profile lawmakers and celebrities are going to follow suit. But what about you? Are you going to take it? The other day, I asked that very question to you, our audience. Uh, I had has asked you to send an email to dbrody at justthenews.com. I'll give it to you again, dbrody at justthenews.com. Here were some of the responses. And by the way, they were an overwhelmingly no, more like heck no. Here's what Amy says. Amy says this, no, I will not take the vaccine or any vaccine. Someone in the media needs to ask what ingredients are in these vaccines by each manufacturer. And Nicole chimes in with this, I will not be taking the vaccine. I don't trust any vaccine because there are too many toxins and undisclosed ingredients, not to mention I don't trust Bill Gates and his agenda to push for vaccines. I feel that he has bad intentions and is greatly involved with these vaccines. If something doesn't feel right, you have to trust that feeling, and that is why I will never get any vaccine. And then one more for you. Uh, Maria says this into the uh, water cooler inbox. Take an unnecessary vaccine for something that is only 99.9% .9 deadly, easy, prevent easy preventable, and easily treatable? You got to be insane. All right, so let's get some answers on this vaccine. Of course, I'm not the guy to answer any of this. I'm just an anchor on TV with a lot of makeup and a shifting weight problem. Uh, instead, joining us now, Dr. Uh, Angelo Falcone. He serves as a regional operating president for U.S. Acute Care Solutions. Dr. Falcone, I really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here with your uh, viewing audience. Well, let me ask you and start with this, basically the basics about this Pfizer vaccine. You know, as you just heard, there's going to be people with a lot of concerns regarding the safety of it. What, what do you say to, the, to those folks? 
Well, I think uh, we need to step back a moment and kind of look at the different vaccines, right? Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of publicity, uh, most of it good, some of it questionable about vaccines. Uh, millions of uh, patients uh, and citizens take vaccines every year in the flu vaccine. Uh, and this is a different type of vaccine, which I'm happy to get into, but it's gone through different phases of testing in tens and hundreds and now thousands of patients with no serious side effects. And it does stimulate the immune system to actually fight COVID-19, which has killed over 300,000 of our Americans uh, in the last year. So talk to me about, you mentioned it's a different type of vaccine. So help us through this. Uh, the Pfizer vaccine, we got the Moderna vaccine that's about sure. to be officially approved here just you know, any moment now. Uh, so talk to me about this Pfizer vaccine and maybe some of the differences there. Sure. So there's uh, three different types of vaccines. If you think about the flu vaccine, it's what's called a, a attenuated or weakened uh, virus that can't cause an infection, but it can cause your immune system to react to it to build antibodies. So that's what we get every year with the flu shot. It's a quadrivalent, four types of different viruses, so it can protect you and it changes a little bit every year. So that's been going on for years and years and years. The two main types of vaccines coming out now are what are called messenger RNA uh, and uh, a plasmid ad uh, adenovirus vaccine. So what does that mean? The messenger RNA basically takes the, the DNA of, of, the, uh, of the COVID uh, or, or SARS-CoV-2 virus and it takes one of the proteins, one of those spike proteins that we've heard about that sits on the top of the virus. It's not the entire virus. It's one of the proteins that really attaches to your cells that we build an immune response around. So those messenger RNAs get put into, this, into the vaccine, injected in your arm, and it triggers an immune reaction. The other type that are coming out, uh, the AstraZeneca uh, and the Johnson & Johnson, which are gonna be coming out later uh, in January, probably into February, are taking part of that same uh, virus particle and connecting it with a common virus, like your common cold virus, which all of us have been exposed to, or nearly all of us. Uh, and the new part of what's injected is really that particle of that protein that your body will start reacting to and building antibodies again, so it'll protect you when you get exposed to it later on in the course. Typically, it takes a week or two for you to start building up an immune system, uh, an immune reaction. Uh, for the for the majority of them, except for the J and J, you're going to need two shots, about 28 days apart, to make sure that your immune system is primed and ready to actually impact the virus if, if you get exposed to it. So, so how does someone go about deciding which vaccine they want to take? I mean, how, how do they kind of compare and contrast some of these? So uh, part of it is availability, right? Um, the government has determined through uh, the advisor committee for immunization practices that there's certain uh, levels of, uh, of, of folks in, in the country that we're gonna immunize first, second, and third, right? We're gonna take care of healthcare workers yeah. and those in skilled nursing facilities, that's about 25 million people. So they're likely to get the first rounds of both Pfizer and Moderna and my colleagues in US Acute Care Solutions are getting their shots in their arm in the next couple of days and next couple of weeks. Uh, we're also gonna be uh, obviously being very attentive to those in skilled nursing facilities because they're the ones that account for 40% of all the deaths that are associated with COVID-19. The next layer of, uh, of folks that categorized as 1B are 
essential non-healthcare workers. So those are the folks that kind of take care of us on a day-to-day -day basis, the police, make sure our streets are clean, make sure we're getting food on our table, whether it be farmers or being people that work at grocery stores. That's like 87 to 90 million Americans. Uh, and then the third category are those over 65, uh, and that's about 50 million people in the US, and those with uh, medical conditions that would be a concern in COVID-19, yeah. people with diabetes and th those kinds of, that's like 100 million people. So those are the folks that are gonna get it first. So you don't really, I, I think, have a choice. It's gonna be what's available at that time in your community. What is your sense about when things might be able to start to get back to, quote, normal, if you will, because this vaccine will be out there and it'll be rolled out over the next few months, six months or so? Uh, what's your sense about when things can really start to, to break through here? Yeah, what we talk about is this being like a long tunnel and we see a light at the end of the tunnel and it's going to get a little bit brighter every single day. Uh, it's going to take about six months to really get to the point where we're at herd immunity, where we have 60 to 70 percent of the population that have either been vaccinated or have been uh, have natural immunity because they've had COVID-19. You know, between five and 10 percent of the country currently has had an exposure, we think, to COVID. Some of the symptoms are mild, so they don't get tested for it. Uh, so that means that 50% of the rest of the population needs to be vaccinated to really get to herd immunity. And that process is probably going to take uh, on the order of six months to get through. I, I just want to, and we only have about a minute or so left, so this is going to be hard to do in a minute, but you did mention something that caught my attention. You said the DNA of the protein of your cells. Uh, look, I'm not trying to get into conspiracy land, but you know the deal. There are a lot of folks that, that as it relates to this vaccine, they're concerned when you say DNA, cells, and vaccine. And there are a lot of, whether it be anti-vaxxers or maybe not even anti-vaxxers, people that are concerned about, uh, wait, what does this mean, the DNA and our cells? They, they, they see that as uh, real problematic and what that can mean for tracking and all of that. Yeah, no, I certainly understand uh, people's concerns. Look, the way vaccines are made, you have to take something to put into your body that's a foreign substance that your immune system can recognize as foreign and be able to build an immune response around. That's that's really the, the simplification of a vaccine. So some of it does involve a protein that the DNA from the virus produces. So that's part of what, when we talk about the DNA, we're not injecting foreign substances to track people. We're injecting a part of the virus, typically a protein, yeah. and not even part of the DNA, that your body can recognize as foreign so it can build an immune response around. Dr. Angelo Falcone, fascinating. Love to get you back on the show as we move forward uh, in the next six months. You, you, just a lot of uh, wealth of information. I appreciate you. I uh, appreciate you as well, and Merry Christmas to your, to everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas uh, to you and, and yours uh, here from the water cooler. Sounds good. We'll have to send you. We're going to send you a Christmas card. We'll do that. Mad Madison, we can send the doctor a Christmas card. Madison says, yeah, we're going to send you a Christmas card because you know why? It's in the budget. Why? Because we are a money-making show. Now, I don't know. If I'm, I have no idea if we're a money-making show. All right. Uh, when we come back uh, down to the state of Georgia, and that's Senate race, back in a Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Boy, January is going to be an interesting month. Uh, January 5th, the big Senate runoff in Georgia. Two of them. January 6th, of course, the big uh, open the envelope, uh, please, when Mike Pence, the president of the Senate at that point, uh, would open up the Electoral College votes. Anyhow, uh, that's in January, but we do want to talk about Georgia and what's happening down there. Like I said, the big runoff, two key Senate races will control the Senate. And uh, we want to bring in our guest now, the former HHS secretary, uh, Dr. Tom Price, who is part of a bus tour going on down there in Georgia. Of course, a former Georgia congressman as well. Dr. Price, uh, uh, great to see you here. Thanks for being here on the water cooler. Thanks, David. Wonderful to be with you. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, tell us about it. It's called the Keep America, America Fund Bus Tour. I like the name, by the way. Uh, You're part of it. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what the point of the bus tour is and what you're trying to accomplish there. Well, this this is really historic to have two uh, United States Senate runoff races at one time uh, with the Senate on the line, the control of the Senate uh, majority in the Senate on the line. Um, and, and there's going to be about 500 million, a half a billion dollars spent in this state on television advertising and all sorts of stuff. Um, and, and what we believe, however, is that most folks have tuned that out. And what we wanted to do was to be certain that we did something at the grassroots level. So we've organized uh, two buses to, to uh, uh, go around the state uh, and stop in hamlets and villages and towns and cities, large and small, uh, to encourage individuals to come out share with them why we believe this is the most important election that they could be involved in because it means the checks and balances that could be in place if the Republicans continue to control uh, the Senate are incredibly important and to encourage everybody, to encourage all of them to to get out and vote. Um, And it's been remarkably successful. We've got a number of uh, representatives elect who are participating in it. We've uh, Senator-elect Tommy Tuberville has come over from Alabama. We've had a number of United States senators coming and participating and a lot of physicians uh, uh, supporting this health care for you plan that we've also put in place. So very exciting and uh, it's going extremely well. You know, the election fraud that we've all heard so much about, I I think there's a concern in Georgia about that possibly suppressing some of the voter turnout there. There are some folks that say, you know what, can't trust the systems, they don't show up. How concerned are you that these uh, that Republicans uh, may take a pass, even if it's just a percentage or two that can make uh, obviously all the difference in the world? Both of these races are are just extremely tight. Uh, The polls have them basically tied, both of them. Uh, And so uh, having anybody say that the way to approach this is to not vote is just crazy talk. Uh, I I ran a lot of races, ran a lot of elections, never lost an election, but I know one way you can lose it for sure, and that's if your supporters stay home. So individuals who are supportive of uh, Senator Kelly Leffler and Senator David Perdue, we're encouraging every single one of them to get out and vote and make certain that they bring others to the polls with them uh, so that they can early vote or absentee vote or vote on the day of the election, January 5th. Dr. Price, I've got to ask you about, obviously, the president has been tweeting, as you might galore, about uh, Governor Brian Kemp and the secretary of state down there. Uh, They've received a lot of heat from Republicans for doing what they're doing in terms of certifying the vote, not calling for a special session. What what is what's your view on all of that? Uh, Because this has been very controversial down in Georgia. I think I I just think it's not helpful at all. Um, uh, In my 20 plus years in public service, um, I, I 
tended to believe and appreciate that the vast majority of individuals who were in public service were trying to do their very, very best. These are difficult times and remarkable challenges. And the Secretary of State has made some decisions that I wouldn't have made. Uh, but I think he's trying to do his, his, his level best. And in the midst of the battle, in the midst of this election, uh, these kinds of sniping and, 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 uh, and, and conversations that are going on just aren't helpful for anybody. Because as you say, they may tend to suppress the vote and that gets the outcome that obviously the Secretary of State doesn't want or the governor doesn't want. Um, and uh, so we're encouraging, and that's one of the reasons for the bus tour is to get out there and encourage every single individual to make certain that their voice is heard and that their vote is counted. You think that vote in Georgia was was ultimately legitimate uh, because there's a lot of folks that say there was just too much. They call it the crazy train down there. Something that you know something something's going on down there in Georgia. Well, it, it something is going on, and I'll tell you what's going on is a changing in of, of the demographics, but also and probably the most important thing is that the left, has, Stacey Abrams and her gang, uh, her crew have perfected the art of harvesting absentee ballots. Um, I, I don't think what they're doing is necessarily illegal, but it certainly is unprecedented. And they're harvesting hundreds of thousands of ballots uh, and getting uh, getting folks to vote. So I, I think what they've done is harvested ballots. I tell folks what we need to do is harvest people, get them out to, uh, to make certain that they vote. Uh, they've improved their ground game. Uh, the left has to a, a remarkable degree. Um, and these things are pendulums, uh, but we need to respond in a positive way and make certain that we get everybody out uh, to, to vote as well. Georgia's still a center-right state, I believe, and if everybody gets out and votes, then I think we'll be fine. There's definitely uh, news on that front. You mentioned the, the ballot harvesting, which, of course, is illegal in many states, most states, actually. But uh, th this idea of what's happening in Georgia, take a look at some of these headlines. I mean, there was one that says 76,000 uh, new uh, voters uh, registered down in Georgia before the U.S. Senate runoff, and uh, a lot of them, it seems, uh, could be Democrats. Uh, th that, that might concern Republicans. How, how concerning are you that there's 76,000 new Georgia voters registered before the Senate runoffs? Well, I think that, that it's important to look at those 76,000 and be absolutely certain that each and every one of them are actually eligible. Um, now, mm -hmm. for many folks, they look at this and say, if this is a runoff election from the general election on November 3rd, uh, why would anybody who wasn't eligible to vote in the election on November 3rd be eligible to vote in the runoff election, which is kind of the, the, the next step to determine who the winner of the November 3rd election is? Um, and uh, so there are a lot of folks who have real concerns about that. And I know that, that individuals going back to the state legislature uh, in January in Georgia will be working on some reforms and positive changes to make certain that only individuals who are legally eligible to vote in a given election, in a general election, are the ones that are able to vote in the runoff if that uh, if that general election results in a runoff. Before I let you go, I've got to ask you, i got got 30 seconds left or so, the vaccine, big news, obviously. Uh, obviously, the former HHS secretary. What do you make of the news? Uh, will you take the vaccine? A lot of people are concerned about safety. Well, this is absolutely historic, and Americans can be proud of the work that's been done in a public-private partnership to bring about these vaccines, and everybody who was involved in that needs to be congratulated. Um, I think it's imperative that everybody uh, that's able to do so from a health standpoint get out and, and, and get a vaccine. I'll be, as I've told folks, I'll be the first in line when they allow me to take it. So. All right. Dr. Tom Price, uh, great to see you. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Take care, David. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Hey, we can say Merry Christmas because Trump's president, right? If Trump's president, we can say Merry Christmas. If he's not president, what, what, I can't say it? I never understood that. 
Anyhow, we're back in a moment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. All right, uh, let's see. What are we talking about? Oh, yes, that's right. Sorry, I had to remind myself. Sometimes I have to remind myself. Uh, COVID-19, the relief bill, what's happening with the stimulus package, and are there going to be checks in the mail for Christmas, all of that stuff. Uh, let's, uh, let's bring in uh, Nick uh, Ballacy. Uh, who, of course, with, is with JustTheNews.com, a senior reporter there. Hey, Nick, uh, always good to see you. Nice to see you. And uh, I guess you're not in Pennsylvania. Then again, you could be in Pennsylvania. Who knows? I, 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 still, I still have memories of you in Pennsylvania, Nick, by the way, FYI. Uh, all right. COVID-19, what's the latest uh, as it relates to this relief bill? Is this going to happen or, or is it just a matter of when, not if? Yes, it's a matter of when, because what I'm hearing from sources and individuals close to the process, as well as some members of Congress, is that they're getting closer to a deal. The question is how this situation plays into the omnibus bill, because they have to pass regular appropriations to keep the government funded, passed today at midnight, plus they're looking to do a stimulus package. Now, they've kind of created this situation because the leadership on both sides of the aisle are trying to connect now the omnibus bill with the stimulus. So it looks like that's where they're heading. They're going to do this as one big package uh, together, stimulus and the omnibus bill. But if they can't get some sort of agreement on stimulus by midnight tonight, they may pass a short-term bill, maybe three or four days of regular appropriations to give them some more time to hash out the larger, bigger picture uh, legislation. That's what the House Majority Leader was saying days ago, and that looks like the strategy both sides in the Senate and the House are sticking. So just so I understand, the sense is they will stay in session most likely through this weekend at this point? I think so, unless they can hash out some sort of deal that funds the government and adds the stimulus by midnight tonight. But I'm not sure if they're going to get to that point. Now, they're looking at a $1.4 trillion omnibus bill to keep the government running through September 2021. That's the latest that I'm hearing. Plus, they've got the stimulus negotiations going on. There's a $750 billion bill that a bipartisan working group has put together for relief. That does not include stimulus payments. And then they've got a separate piece of legislation that's up for debate, which is the liability protections for businesses coupled with state and local funding from the federal government as a stimulus package. So both of those pieces of legislation are being debated. And then you've got the omnibus legislation, about $1.4 trillion to keep the government running, right. uh, which they have to do. Uh, very quickly. 
So, so Nick, uh, I know one of the big stumbling blocks has been that state and local funding. I know the, the Democrats have been wanting that for, well, basically forever, this whole year. And Republicans have been able to ward it off every time. What, what's the latest on that? I mean, do, is there a sense that there'll be some money or no money? Or, or I, is that a deal breaker? There's a good chance that there could be no money in this uh, larger stimulus package that's being debated because McConnell has been saying, look, the state and local and then the liability protection seem to be the most contentious topics, the most contentious issues. Let's separate that debate relief and then we'll deal with that later at a later date. So you might see in this go around right now, no state and local federal aid, and they may take it up when Biden is in office because Majority Leader Hoyer was saying days ago, look, whatever we do on stimulus right now, if it's a smaller scale package than the one we wanted, which was the HEROES Act they passed in the House back in May, was over $3 trillion, mm -hmm. then we're going to revisit this later when Biden is president. So we could see another stimulus package, possibly with infrastructure added in, something that Biden's been talking about on the trail that he wanted to do throughout the election. What's your sense on stimulus checks when all of this is said and done? Do you think they'll be included? We talked to Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler the other day. We also talked to Congressman Brian Babin, who weren't quite sure. As a matter of fact, Congressman Vicki Hartzler yesterday was telling us she did not think they would be included, even though I've heard that they are going to be included. What, what can you tell us? So up to this point, it's been, the, it's been considered uh, to be put into this package but then again, when you talk to some of these bipartisan uh, working group members like Tom Reed, who's the co-chair of the uh, House Problem Solvers Caucus, he was telling me a few weeks ago when they worked on the framework for this bill that no way are the stimulus payments going to be included. Because right now, it's an issue of uh, debate between both sides, and he didn't think it was going to be included. But then when I've talked to some sources who are close to the uh, leadership, in the House, they've said, we're going to do it. The question is how much? Could be 600, could yeah. be the 1,200 that was in the CARES Act. We're just going to have to see. But I, I, my sense is it probably will be included when this bill gets filtered through the leadership and other key members of the uh, bipartisan working group. Nick, before we let you go, I want to have you address some of the headlines we're seeing as it relates to uh, Tommy Tuberville uh, from Alabama. Uh, he's the incoming senator-elect from Alabama when he arrives. And here you see it there. Will Tommy Tuberville back Mo Brooks in overturning electoral college decision? They're looking for one bold senator. That's all they need. One bold senator. And you wonder if Tuberville is going to be the guy he's signaling he is. I wonder how much uh, traction that's getting up there. Or I know there's a lot of other issues right now up there. But what's your sense on Tuberville? Well, his name being added to the mix now is a new development. President Trump seems to be endorsing the idea based on his Twitter activity. Uh, so we may not be seeing a concession from Trump anytime soon if he's behind this effort. So we're just going to have to see how it plays out. But I think there there may be some Republicans uh, skeptical of jumping on board with this, but they're going to have to be questioned and asked if they agree with this effort. We, we got to get them on the record. It's definitely a, a, a topic that we're following closely at Just the News, and we're going to stay on it. Sounds good. Nick Ballacy, always great to see you. And talk about staying on top of it. That's what you do. That's, that's what you do. You go around and you get the news at justthenews.com. How's that for a promotion for you? 
Thank you, David. All right. Yes, put, that's put exactly that on, what we do. Put that on the LinkedIn profile. I appreciate it. All right. All the best to you, sir. Uh, well, look, uh, we've got a lot more on the show, including uh, in the next segment. This is an interesting one. You've, you're a female athlete. So here's the question for you. Remember, you're a female athlete. Should transgender athletes, in other words, biological males, be allowed to compete with females? Look, it's been around, it's been talked about, now there's lawsuits galore. We're gonna talk to a lawyer about all of this because there is something brewing in the water in Connecticut. We'll talk about it when we come back. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Look, it's a straight up question, okay? I mean, every parent can relate. You got kids, right? You got, let's say you have a daughter. Uh, she's competing in female athletics. And here's just a simple question. Should your daughter uh, be able to go up against transgender uh, athletes uh, in sporting events? And can I just decode what we were talking about when, we're, when we say transgender athletes? I mean, let's just be honest and biological about it. We're talking about biological males. Males competing against females. Anyhow, uh, look, we, we have a lot to discuss uh, about this, and there's lawsuits pending in Connecticut, and, and there's lots of stuff going on all around the country. I want to bring uh, Christiana Holcomb uh, in, legal counsel for the Alliance Defending Freedom, who is on a case in Connecticut. And uh, Christiana, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate uh, you joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, look, this has been kind of your bread and butter, if you will. You, you've been on top of this for a very long time. Give us the sense of what's happening in Connecticut. Get uh, our viewers up to speed as to what's happening and, and what the repercussions of all of this uh, can, could be. Well, Connecticut State Athletic Association passed a policy that allows male athletes to just identify as female and to compete in girls' sports. And that's having a really devastating impact on female athletes across the state of Connecticut as they're losing out on state championship titles and podium spots, medals, and potentially even scholarship opportunities. In fact, two male athletes who identify as girls have swept 15 women's state championship titles just over the course of a few seasons. So Alliance Defending Freedom on behalf of a few brave female athletes in Connecticut have challenged the policy and said, look, this, this violates Title IX and these girls' right to have their equal athletic opportunities protected. So what happens from this point forward? Where is the case exactly? What's expected to happen here as we move forward? Well, the case is still in the relatively early stages of litigation. Um, we're moving forward with discovery and exchanging information with the other side. But look, this should not be a complicated question. Title IX was passed nearly 50 years ago to ensure that female athletes like Selena and Chelsea and Alana have the same athletic opportunities that biological males in the state of Connecticut do. But right now, that just is not the case. And we're seeing uh, these athletic policies that really reverse nearly 50 years of advances for young women 
across the country. Yeah, it puts uh, liberals in an interesting position here who, you know, they champion the feminist movement, but then, you know, what do you do here? And I, I know there's folks like Martina Navratilova and others who have actually spoken. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, for example. Uh, yes. Tulsi Gabbard considered a, uh, obviously a liberal in many areas. Uh, in, in this situation, she's actually come to the defense of, of these girls. You're exactly right. And I think that highlights that fairness for female athletes is a bipartisan issue, as it should be. Look, everyone looking at this issue should recognize that girls deserve to compete on a level playing field. And the reason that we have women's sports as a separate category in the first place is because of those inherent biological differences between the sexes, those inherent physiological advantages that male athletes have over female athletes. That's why we've got to protect the female sex category so that future generations of female athletes can pursue their dreams, um, pursue those college scholarships, and really showcase their talents in the sports that they love. Give us an update a little bit uh, from a legal perspective of what the courts have done on this issue so far, whether it be at the Supreme Court or other, other lower courts. Uh, in other words, how hard is this fight, uh, especially in a, let's be honest, a politically correct culture uh, that is out there and uh, where we hear about transgender rights all the time? Well, the issue of fairness for female athletes has not yet been presented to the Supreme Court in the context of males competing in the girls' category. Um, the first two cases in the country related to this issue, Alliance Defending Freedom, is on the front lines of. Um, that's the one in Connecticut and another lawsuit in the state of Idaho. So we'll see. It's percolating through the court system right now. I do think ultimately the Supreme Court will have to decide this issue. But again, this ought to be bipartisan. This ought to be non-controversial. And in fact, polling that was done just over the course of the last Last fall indicates that upwards of 75% of the American people agree that it's not fair to allow a physically uh, superior biological male athlete to come in and to dominate women's sports. That is not okay, and I do think ultimately we will see protections for female athletes restored. The uh, devil's advocate uh, argument will be: Well, what are these transgender athletes supposed to do at this point? You know, where do they where do they compete? Where do they where do they fall? Do they? not going to compete in men's sports, or are they going to compete in men's sports dressed or looking like a woman? I, I mean, I, I don't know. The, the whole thing is just a kind of a strange situation. Well, we certainly think everyone should be able to compete in sports. The question is, where is it most fair? And again, the reason we have women's sports as a separate category is because of the inherent physiological differences between the sexes. Both science and common sense tell us that males have those inherent advantages that make it unfair for them to compete against female athletes. So biology is what matters in sports, not a person's identity. And so we ultimately hope to see fairness in a level playing field restored for young women like Selena and Chelsea and Alana. But just so I understand, but from a legal perspective, I mean, the argument's going to be, or at least part of at least the human aspect of this will be, then what are these transgender athletes supposed to do? Because because if, if the courts are ruling in a favorable way on other issues as it relates to transgender rights, then, then how can they kind of turn a blind eye, if you will, to, to this issue? In other words, where are these uh, uh, biological males uh, supposed to go? Are you suggest, or is ADF or, or others suggesting that they need to then be with the males? I mean, because they, they got to land somewhere. 
Well, Title IX protects everyone on the same basis, and that is biological sex. And so what we're asking okay. for are the courts to restore the purpose and promise of Title IX for female athletes and ensure that their category is protected for female athletes only. And other individuals can, male athletes are welcome to compete with the males if they choose. They can choose co-ed sports if they want. There is a place for everyone in the sporting community. But again, what Title IX was designed to, to do is to protect equal athletic opportunities for female athletes so that they can be on the podium, so that they can win those athletic scholarships, those championship titles in the sports that they love. Do you expect to see more of these lawsuits crop up? What's your sense about the future here? Uh, you certainly could see more of these cases pop up across the country as state athletic associations are passing these devastating policies. But again, that's why I'm encouraged to see Representative Gabbard introduce a bill like the Protect Women's Sports Act to ensure that Title IX is clarified because sporting authorities are misinterpreting it, misconstruing it across the country. We want to see female opportunities protected. And again, a bipartisan issue, and we hope to ultimately see fairness restored for female athletes. Christiana Holcomb with the Alliance Defending Freedom Legal Counsel there. Really appreciate your time. Uh, a really important topic that a lot of parents across the country are obviously would be very concerned about. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, and on a separate note, that's a heck of a Skype shot. I know. It's superficial. I know we were just talking about a weighty issue. But I have to say, when I see Skype shots like that, I'm thinking to myself, hey, where's that for our set? Madison, is that in the budget here? Do we, do we have that? Okay, Madison says we're going to get the Skype shop, but we have a nice studio. Anyhow, back in a moment with The Last Sip and Kangaroos. <laughs> VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Uh, welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Okay, time for, I'm already laughing. <laughs> time for the last sip. I, I don't know, what kind of cup is this? Well, all right, anyhow, that's a budget issue. Uh, so, uh, look, I don't even know where to begin. Um, it's about kangaroos. Why don't we start there? Uh, so here's an article that caught our eye. Uh, did you know that kangaroos can learn to communicate with humans, researchers say? That's right, kangaroos actually communicate through a gaze uh, similar to domestic animals, for example, like dogs and cats and all that. Anyhow, uh, so there was that recent Reuters article that we showed you revealed that kangaroos can actually communicate with humans, uh, according to researchers down in Sydney, Australia. And so basically, they're, they're, here's the deal. I mean, it's kind of interesting. They're, they're gazing. And how can you tell uh, what a kangaroo is communicating just because of the gaze? Well, what they did was they had a research uh, experiment and they had the kangaroo in front, front of a box and it was closed. And the kangaroo, instead of just looking at the box, looked up at the human like this. I'm going to do my kangaroo like this. Anyhow, and it was like, kind of like, what's in the box? Like gazing. What's in the box? Like that. And so they think they're like a dog or a horse. You know, they have that domesticated side because they're gazing. They're, they're actually speaking to you in a way. Anyhow, so kangaroos are really smart is the point. So we decided, hey, look, we've got exclusives here. We've had Kaylee McEnany. We've had Roger Stone. Uh, we've, got, we've, had, we've had Abe Lincoln. That's right. Thank you, Parker. We've had Abe Lincoln on the show. We figured, why not get an exclusive with a kangaroo? All right, it's a wallaby. But still, uh, this is what uh, our interview was like with the wallaby when they started gazing at us. Have a look. Have you seen what's going on over in the United States of America? 
I mean, whole left side of the country says everything Donald Trump does is must be illegal. And all the right people are saying that Biden whole family is a crime syndicate. And they call us a convict island. Crakey. It's like a, that's like a cheesy Disney movie. Well, Disney, not cheesy, but that's like a cheesy animated movie. Anyhow, that's our interview with the Wallaby because they're very smart. Now, Joe Biden, and I don't want to, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but Joe Biden kind of has that similar gaze, uh, if you will. It's just kind of like, you know, well, there it is. You, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, caption this, can you? I want you to send emails to dbrody at justthenews.com, dbrody at justthenews.com. I want you to caption that picture the Joe Biden gaze. What is he thinking? What is he saying? That we will bring to you on Monday's uh, water cooler. So I hope you uh, will do that. By the way, did you know there are 25 million people in Australia and 50 million kangaroos? Back in mind. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, well, it's a Friday, the end of the week, and, uh, you know, justthenews.com keeps cranking out the news, and that means Daniel Payne is always involved in the mix somehow, some way. You know he is. He's so investigative. Love this guy. Let's bring him back on. Uh, why not? Uh, we'll even Venmo you. We like to Venmo people money when they appear. Daniel, thanks for being here. Dave, thanks for having me. I, I want to say I was uh, voted most investigative in high school, so. I was now, is that, that true? Wait, well, hold on. Is that true? <laughs> well, no, actually, I was homeschooled, so there was nobody else around. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, then, then the answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, Daniel, you've got the top story on justthenews.com with a couple of your colleagues there. Uh, t- tell us about this suspicious uh, Dominion-warned memory cards might need to be prematurely removed from voting machines. Why don't you take it from there? Yeah, so uh, Just the News actually filed a number of open records requests in, uh, uh, in pretty uh, uh, contested and controversial districts around the country. Uh, and one response that we got from Fulton County, Georgia, where there's been a lot of controversy regarding ballot counting, um, it was the case that um, uh, uh, that county issued a directive following a customer advisory from Dominion Voting Machines uh, telling them that the, um, uh, the company had advised election officials that they may have to remove memory cards from voter tabulation machines if they reached a, a, a max level of storage on there. So uh, it, it's something that you, you might not have expected uh, just based on what we know about elections, you would think that um, uh, the kind of tra- chain of integrity as far as voting cards and uh, what votes are tabulated where would, would be pretty centrally located throughout the election. But it turns out that uh, officials in California uh, had to remove several dozen cards at the very least over the course of early voting uh, uh, due to capacity issues. So we were surprised to learn that there was this issue and that uh, these memory cards were being removed from machines on a regular basis. Yeah, really interesting. Daniel, I appreciate your time. Uh, and by the way, speaking of those memory cards, I mean, <laughs> yeah, good luck trying to figure out how secure those are exactly. I mean, that's kind of the whole point. Like, where are they? But we, we're running out of time. It's a Friday. It's the weekend. We both have to leave, right? You have to go too, don't you? We both have to go. Oh, yeah. I think I uh, I got some uh, toast in the oven, I think. I got to go take care of that. I'll, uh, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> okay, the, oh, that's the line of the uh, show. Thanks, Daniel. Toast in the oven. Uh, I think that's got to be our new uh, moniker here at the... We're not news with a smile. We've just got toast in the oven uh, every single day. Hey, on Monday on the show, Jenna Ellis, uh, legal counsel to the President of the United States, will be with us, along with Shannon Grove out in California, who's got a few things to say about King Newsom. Have a great weekend, everybody.